0: Heavenly Father, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that the words of Jesus, these red-letter words, and then the ones in black ink (laughs) that I say myself, that they might be words that stir our hearts, that communicate the truth of God, and that make us realize that you sent your Son into the world for a purpose to teach as well as to be a sacrifice. So, Father, may we learn from him. We yield ourselves to your Holy Spirit, and and we just ask that we might be like the people of his own day when we leave this place this morning. We'll say, no man, no man ever spoke like this man, and he has touched and changed my life. This we ask now in his name and for the glory of his church. Amen. Well, today's red-letter message focuses upon one of Jesus' most favorite topics. It's the one he talked about often. If you go through the Gospels, you'll see he's talking about this again and again and again and again, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, where we're going to take our passage from today. The topic that I'm saying is one of Jesus' most favorite is the topic of the kingdom. The kingdom. Sometimes Jesus called it the kingdom of heaven, most of the time. Other times he called it the kingdom of God. But always he meant what we have before you now, the definition of the morning. Keep this with you, take it with you, and if it's all you get this morning, it would be incredibly valuable. The kingdom, the realm, the place. The realm where God's authority is recognized and honored. Now, the devils recognize God's authority, and the Bible says they tremble over it. Someday God's authority will just bring an end, and will bring eternal punishment to them. So it's not enough to recognize that the kingdom is the realm where God's authority is recognized and honored, and where God's blessings are enjoyed. That's kingdom living. That's the kingdom. Just let that sink in a bit. Think about your house. Think about your home, the, the four walls you live inside of, and, and see if, if you might say, you know, there's a bit of the kingdom right here. This is our little kingdom It's a place where God's authority is recognized and honored and where God's blessings are enjoyed. Now that realm, really, as I've suggested, can be found anywhere. It certainly is found in heaven itself, as we saw in our study of the book of Revelation. I mean, that is just all that's going on in heaven, continually. Recognizing the authority of God, honoring all that God is, and enjoying the blessings that come from knowing Him. But it also, this kingdom, this kingdom was found wherever Jesus was found during His earthly ministry. Jesus would say, The kingdom is near. The kingdom is near. He was experiencing and demonstrating life in the kingdom every moment of his life. For who, what other human being ever recognized and honored the authority of God and more fully enjoyed the blessings of God? And Jesus spent a lot of time trying to explain to people what the kingdom was like what the kingdom was like. The very kingdom that he was enjoying and demonstrating and could be found anywhere he went. And on at least one occasion, Jesus told his own disciples that the kingdom, he said to them, is within you. Now, he didn't continue on to say, like it's within me, but they knew there was something going on in Jesus Christ that was, it just drew them. And they desired it. Even when Philip one day phrased it this way Lord, show us the Father. It's like saying, show us what you got going, show us how that can be. And Jesus saying, the kingdom, this very life that I'm enjoying, this very life I'm demonstrating. By the Spirit of God who would one day soon come, that kingdom could be within them and with everyone who commits themselves to Christ. And the blessings of the kingdom can be enjoyed and are enjoyed wherever the kingdom is found. So just let me mention a few. Don't try to jot all these down, but I'll get this text of the message to you so you'll have them all. But just think of some of the blessings of God. Some of the blessings that those who are enjoying the kingdom are enjoying. Well, here we go. For instance, the blessing of sins forgiven. Is that a blessing? The blessing of complete peace of heart. The blessing of purpose in living. The blessing of a home in heaven. The blessing of the earthly companion sent to be with you continually. The blessing of knowing the heavenly father as your own Abba father. The blessing of being identified with Jesus Christ as one of his own. The blessing of living for Christ and feeling his pleasure in the midst of a world that by and large hates him. The blessing of of fellowship with others who are also enjoying the blessings of the kingdom. And on and on we could go. Perhaps in our cell groups this week, we'll just ask you, let's add to that list. What are some of the other blessings that you can say come to one who recognizes and honors God's authority and is experiencing what God desires and has planned for their life? Jesus loved to talk about the kingdom, and we should too. In fact, I mentioned all these blessings of the kingdom this morning so that we will be more than ready to pick up on what Jesus said about the kingdom in today's Red Letter Scripture. Here it is. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 and 45. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold everything he had and bought it. That is the field that included the treasure. Next verse, Jesus says it slightly differently. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, a real treasure... He went away and sold everything he had and bought it." Now, in those two little parables, stories, we call them earthly stories with a heavenly or spiritual significance, only a verse long, each one, in those two little parables, five observations arise concerning the kingdom that I believe should thrill us no end. For them, I'm going to share this morning, Jesus directly said, they came right out of the parable. And a fifth one, I'm going to share as an observation that I've made on these parables. Hopefully by the time we're done this morning, they will thrill all of us. These things we've observed, we've discovered, the Spirit's revealed to us about the kingdom of God. So we're just going to go right through them. Here we go. Five, what I'd call throwing observations concerning the kingdom. First of all, Observe the hiddenness of it. The hiddenness of it. This, The kingdom of God and all the blessings that come along with it is neither obvious nor easily discovered. Now we're going to have to think about that for a little while. Because we we spend our whole life trying to make it obvious and discoverable. In fact, we don't even want people to discover it. We want to just give it to them, right? Here's the gospel. Here's the truth. Here's how it is. Here's my testimony. It's right out there in neon lights if we could put it there. And uh, there's not much discovery anybody needs to do. But Jesus said the, the kingdom, it was hidden In a field. It's neither obvious nor easily discovered. Now let me tell you this. Things that are spiritually obvious are generally the ramblings of man. You can find them anywhere. The bookstores and the internet are full of them. Spiritual insights that that are right there on the cover of a book. They're usually just the ramblings of man. The way men would like things to be. The way they have figured out in their minds things ought to be or actually are. You can find them anywhere. Sometimes they are even promoted by generally reliable Christian organizations. Like a number of years ago when Campus Crusade, which is an awesomely valuable organization seeking and has led millions of people to the Lord Jesus Christ. But a few years ago, Campus Crusade ran a nationwide evangelistic crusade that simply said on billboards all through the country, these two words, try Jesus. Can you think of a single Bible verse A single red letter scripture where Jesus ever said, give me a try. Try me on for size and see if what I'm telling you isn't pretty good. If you don't like it, it's a 30-day guarantee. You can go back to your old life anytime you want to, but give me a try. Are those the words that you associate with Jesus? Or did Jesus say, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and... Follow me, meaning completely throw in his lot with me. No 30-day trial. But human beings, even Christian organizations, can come up with a, let me say it, a gimmick that kind of appeals to the human nature. It doesn't necessarily reveal the truth of God, but it appeals to the human Yeah, I could give it a try. Well, I've got to attend a few meetings, like once a week or something, see how it goes, see if I like these people. Try Jesus. Putting that out there as though that is a legitimate biblical option. Or how about when all all the fad, maybe 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, was the development of what was called seeker churches. Seeker churches where biblical realities were expressed in common street expressions so that supposedly even the unsaved could understand them. Get rid of all this theological language. Get rid of all this stuff like salvation, redemption, um, substitution. Get rid of all of that because people don't understand that. So, so, so just boil it down to something they can understand because we're interested in bringing seekers into the group more than we are just declaring the truth of God. That was a, something that was pretty popular. No, no digging into anything required. We're making it so simple, so straightforward, that you can understand it, and the end result is, and it's not even biblical, but you can understand it, what we're saying. Jesus understood the hiddenness of the kingdom of heaven. He said we needed to seek it out. We need to seek it first. You see, the kingdom of God is not something that's just lying around in this fallen, broken world. The kingdom of God and the blessings it provides are so contrary to what the world offers and what the people of the world naturally experience that one must practically leave the world and all of its patterns of thinking behind if one would discover the kingdom. It's unnatural life. It's completely unknown life to the natural man until it's discovered. Jesus would have us understand that kingdom life and the kingdom blessings... Are not normal to mankind and must be searched for, because they are neither easily discovered or are they obvious. Now let me ask you, do you remember a time? Do you remember a time in your life when you were searching for these very things? A time when you sensed that there must be more to life than what you were experiencing? A time when your heart was yearning for the peace and joy and purpose that I mentioned, come to those who are enjoying kingdom living? I don't know, maybe you're still involved in that search right now. Know this. Jesus once said, seek and you will find. Today might be the actual day when your search is rewarded. So Jesus compared the kingdom of heaven to something hidden. Something neither obvious nor easily discovered. But once it's discovered, Jesus would say, secondly, observe the great value of it. Notice the great value of it. It's no insignificant thing, this kingdom of God. It's a treasure like no other. In the parable, Jesus says there, there was a, a merchant in the second parable, the merchant who was looking for pearls. Apparently, that was his specialty, what he sold in the market. And he found one. He found one of great value. The first man discovered in a field this treasure. How did he find it? Jesus doesn't say. But somehow in that field, he discovered there's a treasure buried here. Now this second parable buttresses the first. Jesus is picturing the discovery of a pearl of great price or a pearl of great value, the I V says, or the old King James had it a little bit more poetically when it says he discovered a pearl of great price. No assessment is needed. The value of the treasure, the price of the pearl is self-evident. It's truly a treasure, a precious gem, something that has made all the effort of the search seem like nothing. It has not been labor in vain. The effort has been vindicated. My friends, Jesus is telling us, just as he told the people of his own day, there is nothing on earth that can compare, that can be of more worth than life in the kingdom of heaven. Though not easily found, it thoroughly captivates and blesses those who at last hold it in their hands. And now, once discovered and held in one's hands and stirring one's mind and heart, Jesus would have us observe thirdly thirdly, the delight that's found in it. Have you ever found anything you weren't looking for, but when you found it, it was like, wow, this is really good. You stumbled onto it, but when you got a hold of it, it was like, I've never seen anything like this. This is awesome. This is good. This is wonderful. This could be life-changing. Jesus says about the man, then in his joy, he went and did something. He didn't own the treasure yet. He didn't have the treasure yet, but he recognized the value of the treasure that it would change everything about his life. And it's like he couldn't believe that he'd found it. didn't have it yet, but he found it, discovered it, and it brought such joy to him, such joy to him, hardly believing such a thing could exist but he's found it. I'll tell you, if you truly understand what you are doing and what is being offered to you, the discovery of the great gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ should provide one of the most joyful moments of your life. If you think back to the time you first heard the gospel message, And the Holy Spirit first revealed to you that you are in fact, even as he revealed to me long years ago, that I was a sinner heading for hell. And then maybe talk about hell a little bit. Just enough to let us know we don't want to go there. And then he brought about the good news and he said, But, but, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in response to the love of God that God so loved the world that he gave his own Son, and the Son willingly came to lay down his life for all sinners, including you, Mark. And he paid for your sin. And he paid for your sin, and he made possible eternal life and all these other blessings that I mentioned. He made possible that. That's why the gospel is called good news. Somebody hearing that for the first time, there's a, an unbelievableness about it, and then there's a joy of discovery that, that Jesus is talking about in this parable. He found the treasure. He found the pearl of great cost, great value. And in his joy, he went. You see, you can see what God has provided for you. You can see what the Spirit of God has unearthed, as it were, for you. You can understand there's nothing on this earth that can compare to this wondrous treasure. You can find yourself thrilled by the discovery. And Jesus' little story pictures that. First the discovery, then the assessment of value, then the joy of understanding and the anticipation of what God desires for us and has planned for us. And then as Jesus himself would reveal in this joyful discovery of the truth of the kingdom, he would have us observe fourthly this morning this. Observe the desire created by it. This is my observation I would add to Jesus four. Observe the desire created by it. I must have it. I can think of nothing else. This is a critical element in the story. For sinful man does not naturally desire the things of God. This desire, even this desperate desire, is evident that the discovery has been made and the Spirit of God has begun his work in the discoverer's heart. Jesus once said, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, when you discover that righteousness is possible, that sinfulness can be forgiven and God can look upon you, the holy God, and say, you are righteous in my eyes. I see no sin in you at all. And the day will come when he can welcome you into a holy heaven and you belong there because he says you're righteous. Once you get that idea in your head, you realize that's a possibility. How can you ever say I don't want it? How can you ever say, well, I'll wait on that. I'll wait till I'm older. Not if you really understand what what the treasure is. You can't wait a minute. You've got to have it. You know you might die the next minute. And this offer is not yet yours to possess. This offer is offered Righteousness. Jesus said there ought to be a time where you hunger and thirst for it. Nobody shoves it down your throat. Oh, I once heard a guy say, even about the ministry, God drugged me kicking and screaming into the ministry. What a lie. God doesn't drag anybody kicking and screaming into salvation. He doesn't drag anybody kicking and screaming into anything. God will... He works with the willful heart. And Jesus is saying here, there's a time when that, that hungering, that thirsting, that you don't thirst unless you've been without water for a while. You don't hunger unless you've been without this kind of food for a while. Somebody who has been in the desert for a long time can thirst desperately for water. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God lays like that. Unless you're hungering and thirsting for it, you don't understand it. Unless you're hungering and thirsting for it, you don't understand your situation. This is not about try a little religion, it'll make your life go better. It's recognizing my life. Top to bottom is an offense to God. And a holy God's judgment is someday going to fall upon me, and I will deserve it, and it will be brutal. And it will be eternal. And then somebody says, hey, I discovered something in the field of the Bible. I discovered something that says you can get out from under that judgment. It's possible that God can just say, I'm going to forget all about your sins. And I'm going to declare you to be holy, to be righteous. And so the gift of righteousness is, is, and the standing before God, being righteous, is possible. And if you really understood your situation, man, you wouldn't "I have to think about that. You would be running pell-mell to whatever direction you needed to go to find this thing, this solution. To your horrible problem. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And this parable talks about a, a man, two men who had developed that kind of desire for it. Let me tell you, the longer we go in the Christian church, things don't necessarily get better. Things don't necessarily get more biblical. Things don't necessarily get more honoring to God in the way that things are presented. Because humanness comes into even such a, a thing as the Church of Jesus Christ. And they, people figure out how to do it better. Let me tell you this. Long years ago, Many years before Billy Graham came on the scene, the American evangelistic meetings that were featured around the country, tent meetings, the evangelists who'd come to town, those meetings featured what was known as the mourner's bench. Okay, the mourner's bench. This was a bench or a row of seats right in the front where those who were under conviction of sin those who were beginning to discover some of the truths of the kingdom and find in their hearts a stirring, a desire for Christ, they would sit in the agony of conflict. Because honestly, everything about their fallen sinful nature would say, do not do this. Be your own person. Live your own life. Do not surrender yourself to God. Do not consider what this preacher's calling sin to be sin. The human nature would fight against holding on to its own independent spirit, its own rebellion against some God who says, this is what you must do. And then there's something else that was beginning to capture their heart. Something else that says, but the truth of God says these are sins. The truth of God says there is an eternal judgment. The preacher here is telling me that Jesus died on the cross and I can be forgiven of my sins. And, and there's that part of me that, that sees it as a treasure, sees it as a truth. And, and there's that, that period of time where the battle is going on. And the evangelist would understand that's a necessary part of the whole thing. And so he would would ask people to come, not to the front to get saved, but come here and and let the Holy Spirit work with you. Allow the Holy Spirit to create within you a hunger and thirst for, (coughs) for the righteousness of God until you can't contain it. until you must have it and you sit there and you let God work with your heart with your spirit with your soul nothing pretend this is real you're in a spiritual battle and you're going to feel the enemy saying no while you hear the spirit of God saying yes and maybe all night through the meeting maybe tomorrow night at the meeting Maybe for a whole week of meetings, there may be some sitting there in under conviction, and yet not yet yielded. And they mourned, and they hungered, and they thirsted, until finally the desire was so, so much that it just overwhelmed them. And then they came. And committed themselves wholly to Christ. There was no giving Jesus a chance in that environment. There was not, hey, try this out for a little while. Go to church for three or four weeks and see if it... No. They recognized when they got off that mourner's bench. Their old self stayed there. And their new self. They were yielded to Christ. They were given to him. They gave the Spirit of God full permission to change them and work with them and bring them into the kingdom where they can experience the blessings of the kingdom. That has been lost to the church of Jesus Christ, and it's a shame. It's a shame. Desire. A desire created by the treasure of the truth that causes a person to say, I must have this. I cannot live a moment more without it. At that point in their lives, there was nothing else that mattered. I'll tell you, biblically speaking, such a desire to be saved is a vital part in the process of salvation. Such a desire creates determination and motivation. And so at this point of the lesson, Jesus now would say to us observe, fifthly and finally, the effort expended to get it. The attitude that says, I will give everything I have. Don't raise your hands but how many of you have been in a situation you where you've been on that front row? Or maybe you're four rows back. And even if the preacher said, I want you to walk up here and confess Jesus Christ, and it seems like, hey, what are you talking? 20 feet, 20 feet, 6 feet, 8 feet. Nobody, just walk up there. How many of you, you know, just answer this within your heart, you know that the effort it took to walk those twenty feet was a greater effort than you've made in anything else in your life. It might as well been twenty miles. Because you were walking from death to life. You were walking from Satan domination to Holy Spirit control. You were walking from letting your own self, sinful nature, guide everything. And you're going to let that sinful nature practically stay in the seat while you walked up here on your brand new, feeble, spiritual legs. And it took every effort you had took all your emotional effort, it took all of your intellectual effort, and it even took a lot of physical effort. It seemed like it was forever the distance. But see if the desire, if the desire is of the hungering and thirsting, and the time comes, the effort, if it takes everything you got, you realize if you drop dead when you got to the front yielding your life to Christ, you would be you'd wake up in heaven you'd say i don't care if it has every if it takes everything i have if it takes every ounce of strength i have if it takes every other thing that i have i must have this it's eternal life it's it's heaven it's the kingdom you see these men in the story because it it was cast in in a monetary sense, they sold everything they owned. And they would say all the stuff they sold, a lot of it they had paid good money for. A lot of it they really liked. A lot of it was part of their life. But they would say at that moment, all that stuff in their eyes was worthless compared to what they were buying. I'm going to buy the field that has the treasure in it. And that treasure is ten times better than all the stuff I've treasured up to this point. So I'm going to let all of that go and claim this. This pearl of great price so far out in classes, anything else I've ever dealt with as a, as a jewelry salesman, that all these things that people used to love and I've looked at, I've invested money and I will sell all of them just to get that one. Because there's nothing else like that. You see, all of a sudden, everything they had was suddenly in their eyes worthless. Jesus once asked this two-part question. It's found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. He said, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The men in these two parables would answer, nothing. It profits him nothing. Because he's lost his soul. He has nothing of value left. There's only a fearful anticipation of judgment. And so if you own the whole world, but lose your soul, you actually lose everything. And so there's no profit in in whatever you did to gain the world. Why would anyone answer any differently? Part two of that statement, that verse, Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The two men in these parables would say everything. If my soul's at stake, I won't hold anything back. You want my car, you can have it. Want my bank account, you can have it. Whatever I have, even if I'm Bill Gates, you can have it all if my soul's in question. Oh, I wish Bill knew that. I wish all those who are treasuring up all these things would know that. Jesus said of the man who who had a marvelous harvest and his barn couldn't even hold all the grain that came in, so he tore down his barn and built a bigger barn. So he'd get it all in there and he says, Now, look at that, look at that. And Jesus says, You fool. Tonight, your soul is going to be required of you. And God doesn't care how big your barn is. See, we would agree... What would we give in exchange for our soul? Everything. And that's what Jesus asks. In fact, that's what he demands. If anyone would come after me, the real Bible says, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself. That is, set aside all these things that you treasure and value and are building your life about and investing yourself in, and all the reasons you pat yourself on the back or receive other person's pats for you. All of that, which is basically wrapped up in your own sinful, selfish identification, needs to be given up. Because that identification will be yours no longer. If you're going to come after me, you're going to be identified, Jesus said, with me. And so when you think from now on, who am I? The answer really is, whose am I? And probably everything's going to change because Jesus is the one determining what the future holds for you. So, But if you understand what's at stake, it's an easy decision, especially if the hunger and thirst has been developed to where it's all beyond the the point of counting and seeing which, no, it's just I must have that. I must have the gifts, the blessings that God grants to those who enter into the kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. Linda and I had a just a marvelous experience that we shared with you a a little bit on Friday. One of our own church members gave us a call in the morning that was surely from the Lord that got us into a bookstore where we weren't planning to be, really. Got us into the aisle of that store where we probably wouldn't have gone. And there we met a young man in the Barnes & Noble bookstore in the Bible row, going up and down it, looking. uh, Well, we were there, and it's almost like he just appeared out of nowhere. He wasn't there when we turned down the aisle, and he's holding this big, humongous King James Bible in his hand in a box, you know, and who knows what that was going to cost. Bibles are not cheap. But he, he just wanted to know what is the best Bible. I need a Bible, is what he went in there for. He had come to the place where he was hungering and thirsting because he feared he might even be nearing the end of his life due to a medical condition. And he wanted to read the Bible, because the Bible would be true. And he wanted to read it to his mother, and he wanted to read it to his family. He just wanted to get one. And then he's looking at that, and as we mentioned, we directed him toward probably a a most readable Bible and a helpful Bible. And and he admitted to us, he said that, You know, you're probably all the same way. You walk into a a bookstore and you're going to buy a Bible. How many of you have had sticker shock when you see what they charge for Bibles? I mean, it could be up to a hundred bucks. Now, he didn't want a little paperback thing. He wanted a real Bible that looked like a Bible that his mother would probably say, yep, that's a Bible, all right. And then it was like, the price But here's the point, he was willing to pay any price. He was willing to set aside anything else that he might have obligations toward so that he could buy this Bible. It shocked him of the price, but he wasn't walking out and going to go to a second hand. He was going to pay whatever he had to pay because that Bible was going to be a doorway into where he wanted to go. He didn't even know much of the truth of it. We got to talk quite a bit about it, but the point of it was he had already passed the hunger and thirst part. He was so ready for God's truth. He desired God's truth. He wanted to know that his life, that if the worst happened to him, he would go to heaven. He was facing a dire circumstance. And What a joy it was to explain a few things to him and let him know that that actual salvation is a gift he can receive. And the Bible will help him understand all about it and all about God's plans for him, but he could receive right now that thing that he's hungering and thirsting for. And he did. And he did. 2000 years ago Jesus told these parables the human condition has not changed our spiritual need has not changed and you and I need to be sure that we're we're not watering down the gospel of Jesus Christ to such a to such a level that uh, Anybody could pick it up and discard it and think about it and just say, well, I got my own notions. I'm going to take your gospel and I'm going to add a little bit of this and a little bit of that. No, we got to leave the gospel hidden enough that it requires the Holy Spirit to dig it out for people. So that people with whom the Holy Spirit is not at work don't think they've got it and mastered it. Oh, I just found it laying on the ground over there. Picked it up, has some interesting... Act. No. The real gospel in and of itself is hidden. And it requires the Spirit of God to help a person find it and understand it. And you and I can be part of that process, but, but make sure... Make sure that anything we say about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, anything we say about the kingdom of God, is biblically sound. And that God calls us to lay down our lives in response to his son who laid down his. And there is a sense of selling all you have. Selling out everything that you thought was your ability to define your own life. It doesn't mean you got to go home and sell your house and give it to the poor. But you must give everything that makes you you. And lay it aside and redefine yourself in terms of Jesus Christ's call. And that's, that's where the treasure is found. And that's where joy and peace and confidence and fellowship with others like yourself and fellowship with the Spirit of God walking with you, that's where that is found. That's the kingdom. That's the plan. And God would have every one of us enjoy that to the fullest. So if you haven't uh, really thought about it this way before, just this morning, just say, Oh God, I... I think I've been trying to uh, walk both sides here. I yield myself entirely to you. And when I get up and walk out of this church room this morning, I desire to lay a lot of junk, a lot of worldly things. I desire to just leave them on the seat where I'm sitting right now when I leave and I embrace Jesus Christ and I ask you to fill my life with the blessings of the real kingdom of heaven. Boy, God, hear that prayer. The Lord Jesus in heaven itself would hear that prayer and, and he, his mind would flash back 2,000 years to all those who heard his words just like we had today and, and who left that place, taking them to heart. Heavenly Father, it's not so long ago that Jesus said these things. Way before our own short little lives, but in your great expanse, 2,000 years is, it's still like the moment is happening and Jesus said these things. And the people that your spirit were guiding to him, they they received his words eagerly. And by the thousands, eventually, they followed him and received him, were filled with your spirit, confess that, that he was raised from the dead, and they begin to experience life in the kingdom. Father, I thank you for the fact that life is available to us and that so many in this room are are feeding on it. Oh, how good is it? Father, anyone, anyone here who has some lesser idea of your call, some lesser idea of what salvation is, what Jesus as Lord and Savior means... Oh, Father, just, just let them stub their toe on this treasure this morning and discover there it is. There it is. I need to uncover it. I need to embrace it. I need to make the truth of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior the very truth that everything else in my life is built around. We pray that will be so now, asking this in Jesus' name. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.